Hello. Merry Welcome Christmas. to Bible Braced. Merry Christmas. We are so excited to be with you guys. It is Christmas Eve Eve when we release this, Lord willing. So you guys will be able to listen to this this Saturday before Christmas if you want to. If not, you want to listen to it later, that's fine. We won't mind. <laughs> but that I is, personally uh, will mind. <laughs> and we will be very hurt. Um, but that is when we are, Lord willing, going to have this released. And so we thought we'd take a break from the new study we're going to be starting, Lord willing, um, that we've taken these last couple of weeks off just to be able to prepare for that better. But with it being Christmas next week, um, Christmas Eve on Sunday, we thought it'd be fun to take some time and to just dwell on this season and why we celebrate it. And I feel like as a Christian who's been a Christian for many years and who's been raised in the Christian tradition, Christmas is a difficult time for me to really feel impacted by the gospel. I feel like Easter is maybe a little bit easier for some reason, you know, that Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. But like Christmas, I think is so full of traditions and giving gifts and receiving gifts and time with family and like all wonderful things, like things that I'm very thankful for. And I really enjoy and relish every year as the season starts again. I love Christmas, but I just feel like it's easy to be, um, to get through a very busy, chaotic season of Christmas. And then afterwards to just be left feeling kind of deflated and Mm -hmm. kind of empty and disappointed lonely. I mean, it's interesting that that's the case because it's like a really important part of the Christian calendar. I think a big part of it is because Christmas is a holy day. It's a day that we know is supposed to be exciting and fun and festive and feel fulfilling even. And like, you know, it'll brighten up your soul, you know, Mm is like kind of how you think about it. But The world also pushes so much that it's about the giving. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, the the traditions. It's about family. It's about love. And it's like, well, those are nice things, but that's not what it's about. And I think potentially that's part of the problem, too, is that we're told that that's where we're supposed to find the joy and Mm -hmm. the the deeper sense of something, you know, that goes beyond our normal everyday pursuits of family and love and giving and things like that i don't know christmas is oh go ahead sorry oh no you're good i was just gonna say i think that we put so much hope in the traditions and yeah the the season of the year the christmas music maybe or the christmas lights and the decorations and all that we put so much hope in that being something that's fulfilling and brings us that sense of peace that we don't get from those things yeah that's a good point and i think as a as a world without God, Christmas has been adopted much more as a holiday than um, Easter has. Like Easter is celebrated by a lot of people and even people who aren't religious still celebrate Easter and get chocolate and that kind of stuff. Like it definitely has worldly influences mm-hmm. and in how it's celebrated, like the Easter bunny and all that kind of stuff. But I think that Holy Week still by and large is a Christian celebration. Like mm-hmm. you don't find people recognizing Good Friday um, mm-hmm. unless they are at least of a religious Christian-like faith. Mm-hmm. You don't find people, you know, really celebrating like the whole Holy Week and like Palm Sunday and all these things that go along with that. And Christmas, um, 
like there's not really, there's no music for Easter except for Christian music, you know, sacred music, we would say like there, um, there's just much more of a, of a spiritual focus, I think during Easter. And I think too, that as Christians, as a family, us growing up, we adapted much less of the world's traditions and celebration for Easter than we did for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Like we never did Easter baskets or anything like that really is growing up. We were very much like, this is the resurrection of Christ that we're celebrating. Bunnies have nothing to do with it. Spring has nothing to do with it. We maybe would buy those Robin egg candies though, because those are so good. We would like buy discounted candy after Easter. (laughs) Mom and you always do that. We eat a ton of candy after Easter. But like, you know, there was, it wasn't like the focus. Whereas with Christmas, I feel like it's so normal for us as Christians to have a tree and to listen to all the secular Christmas music and to like really, and to do gifts and to do all these things. And none of those things are wrong. Like I'm not, I celebrate Christmas that way. I I think that though, maybe that's one of the reasons why I find it difficult during the Christmas season to see it as really a holy holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, because I feel like in a way I've bought into how the world celebrates Christmas and I've bought into it being a magical time, you know, the season of giving, the season of perpetual hope, you know, like the idea of, I mean, there you can watch seven different Christmas movies and you'll find seven different definitions on the meaning of Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's it's yeah. every movie is like and that's the meaning of christmas like love or hope that's the meaning of christmas or giving that's the meaning of christmas like literally there's so many meanings quotation marks of christmas and it's like what is the real meaning of christmas the real meaning is that jesus was born god became man at christmas mm-hmm. to at least that's what we're celebrating at christmas we don't know the actual date for that but like god became man because he knew he was going to choose the cross mm-hmm. and he was going to die for the sins of the world. So we would not be separated from him yeah. and spend eternity in hell apart from him, suffering the just punishment of our sin. That's the meaning of Christmas. And the secular sources don't even tell us where they get that basis for mm-hmm. Christmas being about love and family and presence and things like that. Yeah. You know, I think even the ones that go a step further than. A lot of the secular ones where it's like, oh, you know, the, the main character sacrifices something for someone who's not doing as well. Or, you know, they, they learn a lesson through it that it's not about, you know, the presence. But it's mm-hmm. like they never mm-hmm. quite connect it to the fact that it is about Jesus and yeah. it's about um, him. That it's him that we celebrate. Yeah. And we have a very, very good reason to celebrate, several good reasons to celebrate Jesus being born. Yeah. So it really is so much greater when you realize what the true meaning is, truly. (laughs) I think that's what brings about holiday blues too, like is, is we're not focusing on the real meaning of Christmas because the meaning of Christmas doesn't change after Christmas is over. Mm -hmm. You know, like if we're celebrating the birth of Christ and we are focused on worship of God and awe of what he did by coming and we're just rejoicing in the gift of Jesus then that doesn't change December 26th. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing ended. Nothing is over. Like that's something we're supposed to continue to celebrate. And I think when we experience those like post-holiday blues that so many of us do, it's because we are putting all of our excitement and energy and focus onto this day, right? Like what we're going to cook 
who's coming, you know, what rooms we want to have decorated and how we decorate them, what gifts we're giving and how thoughtful they are and how well you know the person who's giving them gifts you're hoping you'll get and hoping people know you and are willing to sacrifice for you because you sacrifice for others, right? Like there's, there's like uh, behind all of that too, I think just this desire for things to be as magical and as fun and as exciting as they were when you were a kid and you just looked forward to Christmas, like, and counted down the days. We used to have a calendar that we would count down the days from the first of Jan, first uh, of December through the 25th of December. And we would fight over who got to move the <laughs> frame to the new day. Right. And, and it was a special thing. It was magical to see Christmas approaching and to feel the anticipation of that and to see presents gathering under the tree and like, and you'll never like, as an adult, you never get that feeling again, because like, you know, what's under the tree, you put it there. <laughs> right? like, you bought those presents, like, and, and you find yourself more in a position of giving than of receiving a lot of times the older you grow and like, you find yourself, um, in the service mindset when you're hosting and when you're making food for people and all these things, which are all great things, but especially as women, I think we are frequently in service roles during the holidays as we make food for people and clean up after people and prepare for people and host and all these things. And women tend to be a little bit more thoughtful, I think, when it comes to giving gifts and to thinking about the person they're getting gifts for and and just because we're relational that way and we're emotional that way where we connect about with people on that level. And so I think we can really get caught up in the preparation for Christmas. And then if we don't feel like it's been reciprocated for us or if it ends faster than we thought it would or if it you know goes by so quickly because it's so full or people didn't respond the way we hoped they would over what we gave them or you know things mm-hmm. go flat and we're hoping for – this amazing thing and it doesn't deliver. Mm-hmm. And then we're left just feeling discouraged, even depressed, thinking, well, maybe next year will be better. And I just think that like as Christians, we don't we don't need to have a holiday season that's like that, right? Like, yes, we can have gifts and we can have people over and we can cook delicious meals and we can do all these things. But like at the end of the day, what are we thinking about? What are we focusing on? Mm-hmm. What are we celebrating? What's the motivation behind yeah. everything that we're doing? Right. It's not like ham day, you know, so let's make well, all the stops <laughs> to make a nice ham dinner. You know, like it's not <clears throat> present day. You know, so present just a, day. It's like it's, it's a beautiful season. It's a lovely season. It's exciting and it's joyful. But what are we really pondering, yeah. you know? What are we really thinking about? It is a waste, really, if we're just focused on the wrong thing the whole time. Yeah. We are instead filling our time with nice things to do, but missing the entire point. Yeah. I think that's sad. I mean, this is a meme I saw last year that I thought was funny because Christmas landed on a Sunday last year, if I'm remembering correctly. And we saw a bunch of churches canceling services on Christmas Day. And that made me so sad. And I saw a meme that said something like, well, sorry, your party's so lame, Jesus, but happy birthday or something like that. Oh my goodness. And it was like, because everyone, all of his people don't go and like be together in his house yeah his body wasn't united for the birth of we all went and did our own things (laughs) you know and i just thought that was so and like i i understand 
in one sense why people would do that, but it, it did make me really sad because mm. our church think, did not cancel services. Yeah. We had. It was really amazing. I loved having a service on Christmas morning. I thought it was mm-hmm. so cool yeah. to be in church together with the body of Christ celebrating the birth of our Savior on Christmas morning. It was cool. And maybe you could change you know, some things or have the services later or something like that so yeah. you can still like incorporate those traditions, but that's all they are. Like they're just... It's sad when we, you know, like, how would you like if someone did that for your birthday? <laughs> like, we're going to cancel your party and we're all going to go celebrate your birthday at our homes. <laughs> I would be like, hey, that's not right. And obviously Jesus is with us. Like he's not in a building, yeah. right? But like the fact that you wouldn't, wouldn't want to meet with the body it when like, Jesus came to that's unify what it's about. us. Like yeah. that's the whole purpose. Like he said, you know, he wants us to be his hope for us is that we'll be one, just as him and the Father are one. Like that's God's desire for us. It's Jesus' desire for the church is that we'll be unified. And yeah. for us to like forsake the assembling of ourselves together on the Lord's Day so we could instead, you know, open presence with our kids at the yeah. <laughs> Like Which one is more a picture of heaven yeah. and being with him in glory forever? It's like, you know, obviously being together with his people, yeah. celebrating him. That's singing he- songs what heaven of worship is be, and praise know? and hearing the word taught, you know, yeah. putting him first on that holy day. And I think that's something that um, I'm kind of disappointed a little bit that we, we won't have a Christmas service this year because I know some churches will have services on Christmas morning no matter what day of the week it is. Um, our church and our like where we attend, it doesn't have um, Christmas morning services unless it falls on the Sunday. But we usually have a candlelight Christmas Eve service, no matter what mm-hmm. day of the week it is. And we'll still have that, which is really special mm-hmm. um, Sunday night, which I'm really thankful for. Because again, it's something, it's just special to be together with God's people. And again, it's good to remind yourself, even as like a family where we really open most of our gifts on Christmas Eve, that's just kind of a tradition with our family that we would do that. We didn't usually start that way. Our parents would always just be like, you guys can all open one gift, but there are nine of us kids. And so by the time you get through nine kids and two parents, like it's just mass chaos. And they were just like, oh, everyone open their gifts. <laughs> well, plus dad loves giving gifts and yes. he gets excited. So he's dad like, and mom both love giving gifts. Let's like, just two open of the most it. giving people I know. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, never mind. Open your gifts. And we're all too willing to let them do that. So yeah, it turned into presents the night before and stocking stuffers the next day. Usually. Yeah. Usually we'll do stockings and then whatever didn't get wrapped um, Christmas yeah. <laughs> morning, <laughs> which can be quite a load sometimes yeah. depending on the year. Um, but, you Good know, time. it's it's a, a special thing to, you know, even if your big family thing is Christmas Eve, which ours usually was, it's a special thing to spend earlier in the evening to spend that time with God's people and to be able to be in the church and have a candlelight service together and to sing songs of worship to the Lord and to be under the word and to just re- reset your focus. It helps your little kids too to recommend, like to remember what the purpose of the season is, you know, when you put God first. And dad was always intentional to read Luke 2 before we would open presents too. And sometimes we would forget and have a present open and then dad would remember and like read it, you know, he'd stop us and read it. And sometimes as a kid, I remember being impatient to like, cause Luke 2 is a really long chapter. <laughs> Be like, oh, I'm gonna read this whole chapter, you know? <laughs> but it's like, I now know most of that by heart. And there are passages from Luke 2 where, you know, a lot of us know him by heart because we hear him quoted so often. But, like, that was something that we did as a family intentionally to help remember why we were giving gifts, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there are ways throughout your traditions, throughout your schedule to honor God, especially for those of you who have kids in the home. 
It's so important to do that because they're learning from you what's important, mm-hmm. right? Like if you say, oh, we, we care about God and his word and obedience to him, but let's not go to church tonight. Let's just have family time. You're teaching your kids that church really doesn't matter as much as opening presents. Yep. There, you know? And you're saying that there's a time and place to not go to church to prioritize things mm-hmm. that God doesn't tell you to prioritize too. Yeah. And kids pick up on that and yep. they look for those opportunities too. Cause when I was a kid, I would pretend to be sick so I didn't have to go to church. You know, it's like, you don't naturally want that, but you mm-hmm. have to be trained to do that. And it is important how we revere what is important and yep. your kids are watching and they see Kids that. don't care what you say. They care what you do. Yeah. And you could have the best intentions in the world and you could feel like comfortable with where you're at in your walk with Christ where, Oh, I can miss, a service or I can miss this or that. Maybe you can, like this theoretically, let's say that it doesn't matter if you forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Let's say that passage isn't in scripture. It is in scripture, by the way, you should read that. But <laughs> let's just say it's not. It, say that you would be totally fine skipping a service. You wouldn't benefit from being under the word that night. God wouldn't be able to encourage or convict or exhort, et cetera, et cetera, through being with his people or even just for obeying what his word says, right? Mm-hmm. Even if that were the case where you didn't need to be there, you were often parenting unsaved people. And so every opportunity you take away from them to sit under the word is potentially an opportunity for them to be fed by the world instead and to become further and further divided from God in their hearts, right? Because you care about their souls, right? These little unsaved kids that are in your home or these maybe baby Christians who've accepted Christ, but haven't learned how to live for him yet. If you care about them, you're going to make sacrifices to keep them under the word. You're going to make sacrifices to help them build spiritually godly habits that are going to encourage them to become spiritually strong and mature adults who love the Lord and serve him. When they go to college, it's too late. They're out of your home. Mm -hmm. And you could be like, man, I, I told them all these things, all these years, you know, I, I told them to honor the Lord and I told them his word was the most important thing, et cetera. And now he's living with his girlfriend or now he's, you know, choosing this lifestyle against God, or now he's in trouble because he stole something or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you may have told him that, but you let him miss church for sports. You said, actually, soccer is more important than being in God's word. Soccer is more important than being faithful to what God's called us to be. Or, you know, I'm tired. It's been a long work week, so I'm just going to stay home and the whole family's going to stay home with me, you know? Or actually, guys, today's just uh, let's go on vacation and we don't need to find a church because we're on vacation. Like, so yeah. you didn't teach them that God's word mattered. You didn't teach them that faithfulness to what he called you to was important. You taught them that whatever you felt like was what you did in your spiritual life. And now that's what they're doing too. And they don't feel like serving God. So they're going to not. <laughs> and it's I, convicting because like how many times do I wake up in the morning on Sunday and I'm like, oh, I really am not feeling it today. <laughs> I would much rather stay in bed. My relationship with my sleep is a very intimate one. <laughs> I, I, I do not want to stop sleeping usually. So oh, man. I get it. It's a very difficult struggle, especially when you maybe don't have people who are yeah. supporting you in that pursuit of God and, um, and walking with him. But really like... God is there for you. He wants you to to meet him, meet with him at church with his believer, mm-hmm. with his other believers, you know, and yeah. um, we all need that. And maybe the individual times that we go to church aren't going to be life changing every single time, but cumulatively, what a difference that makes 
when mm-hmm. we're faithful to God and we show up, even when we don't feel like it. I think there's some weird belief that for some reason we feel like we have to only do the spiritual disciplines when we want to do them because it feels holier that way, you know, instead of just like training ourselves in it. But it's like, we don't treat work that way. We don't treat like mm-hmm. our sports or our music or whatever that way. Yeah. But for some reason. If you reason, only do the dishes when you felt like it, would you ever have clean dishes? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I wouldn't. I hate doing dishes. I, I would not either. It's like my least favorite <laughs> thing. But you don't make decisions about what's good for you based on if you feel like doing it yeah. or not. That's a very foolish way to look at life. I mean, yeah. you don't say, mm, I feel like eating a seventh bowl of ice cream, so I'm going to do it. I mean, it's not good for you, so don't do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and just the same way, like, I don't feel like doing laundry. Yeah, but you have to do it. You have to do laundry. Otherwise, you can't live life, right? Like, you have to have clean clothes. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to have clean towels when you get out of the shower, right? You have to take showers, even though, <laughs> you know, you might not want to because... I don't know, you'd rather you stay curled up on the couch in a blanket and watch TV. Like you have to do things to take care of yourself regardless of how you feel about it. And it's the same way spiritually. Like we have to spend time in the word. We have to spend time with the Lord. We have to spend time in prayer and in thinking about God and meditating on him mm-hmm. because it's what's good for us. It's what's healthy. And it's we're what not, will bring us life. Yeah. And we're not always going to feel like doing it, but the point is mm-hmm. do it anyway. Yeah. And then the more you do it, the more you will like it. Yeah, it's wonderful when you feel like doing the right thing. That's a wonderful thing. But when you don't feel like doing it, you still need to do it, right? When you don't feel like um, driving the speed limit, when you don't feel like not stealing, you you still need to do the right thing. I don't feel like not stealing today. (laughs) Oh, man, especially when you see some of those prices for groceries. Yeah, for real. Oh, man. But, you know, um, all that to say, like, I – I think that we forget sometimes who's watching and yep. we forget the influence we have on on the little ones around us, on the young and the faith around us. And maybe for you, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter if I miss Wednesday night prayer service. It's been a long day. It's been a hard day or whatever. It's like, guys, that's when you need to be around God's people. Mm-hmm. That's when you need to sacrifice to be under the word, sacrifice to pray with his people because you need it desperately. And it's foolish to think that you can live a life apart from how God has set us up. Like he says that he gave us the church for a purpose mm-hmm. and he wants us to be unified. You can't be unified if you're home. Yeah. So all that to say, I mean, there's a lot that we could get into further for the Christmas season, but there are ways that you can honor God this season more intentionally. And I want to encourage you to do that. Like, especially if you have kids in the home to set up traditions as a family that bring the focus to the savior. It's hard for kids to focus on the savior at Christmas. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much that glitters. There's so much excitement under that paper. You know, it's hard for them to focus on Christ. And so being a parent that draws their minds back to truth, draws their hearts back to why we celebrate Christmas. Um, that's really important. You don't want your kids yeah. to grow up and to associate it as just like another American holiday or another whatever holiday, like, it's it's a special time and it means something. And how do we do that intentionally and effectively? And that's kind of the theme Emily and I both this season have been just thoughtful of how we can be still and know God this season. You know, it's something that I've mentioned recently and I've heard Emily mention recently that Christmas is so busy, right? Um, we've had a really involved Christmas program 
lots of rehearsals, lots of time that was devoted to that. And, you know, you're working, you're trying to work a lot so you can take time off to be with family, or you're trying to work a lot to make money for Christmas. Um, you've got a lot of last minute things that are happening before the year ends. You know, a lot of us are pretty frazzled from how hard our work schedules are this time of year. Um, a lot of times you're getting sick because it's the time of the year for sickness. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. Everyone has a virus of some kind right. and your kids are getting ill. And then if you have kids um, in the home, it's Christmas break, which means they're all home. They don't have anything to mm -hmm. occupy themselves with like school every day. Or they have a ton of things to occupy right. themselves with. Or and you feel this pressure to make sure that the Christmas season is as magical as possible. So you're like going to see Christmas lights every night or you're going to this yeah. Christmas program or you're going to go see the Nutcracker Ballet and like... Your days are just full. You're full or of all it. the yeah. programs they're involved with, all the extracurriculars, mm -hmm. all the school stuff, they all have Christmas parties. So you might yeah. have 17 Christmas parties in two yeah. weeks. And so you're buying gifts for that. And you're taking so you're desserts. like, I can't wait for like, Christmas to be over. <laughs> I know. Like it's just yeah. chaotic and crazy. Yeah. And this episode so it's coming out right before Christmas Eve. So obviously it's too late for you to say no to those things, right? But I want to encourage you that, you know, maybe you take notes for yourself for next year and be like, okay, say no to these activities, mm -hmm. right? Like be thoughtful about the way the season was and what things you would have changed if you could. And to make mental notes about that for next year, right? <laughs> um, to make a, a less chaotic season, to find quiet and the craziness to be able to be still and know God. There are just some examples we see from scripture about this and some ways that it's referenced in God's word that we want to talk about and to just help um, you guys to have some passages to just think about and to consider as you're going into this holiday this holiday weekend and then um, through the week after Christmas into New Year's that this might be an opportunity for you to just take time and be still and know God. So we're going to start with the chapter of Psalms where that um, sentence comes from, be still and know God. It's in Psalm 46. So Psalm 46, I'll just read the whole chapter. It's, uh, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very sufficient help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth change and though the mountains totter into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though mountains shake with its surging water. This is some pretty crazy things that are happening here. This is like earth shattering, right? The idea of earth changing, mountains tottering to the midst of the sea, waters roaring and foaming, mountains shaking with surging water. This is you think of those movies that are like apocalyptic, you know, they show end of the world things happening like volcanoes erupting or mm -hmm. giant tidal waves engulfing countries, like major things happening, cataclysmic events happening. It says, even though these things happen, it says God's our refuge and strength, and he's a very sufficient help in trouble. And so we won't fear, even though the earth is changing. It's literally shifting in front of us. Verse four says, there is a river whose streams gladden the city of God, the holiest of the dwellings of the most high. God is in the midst of her and she will not be made to totter. God will help her at daybreak. So this is talking about the city of God and that it's the holiest dwellings of the most high, that God is in the middle of the city and that it's not going to totter. God's going to help her at daybreak. We know this is referring to Jerusalem, to God's city, to God's holy city. And it's promising restoration and peace for her one day, right? The, the future of Israel that has not yet occurred. 
Um, by the way, this is probably one of the most misused verses in scripture where people, women will have this on t-shirts and on sweatshirts saying God is in the midst of her. She will not be made to totter, you know, and it's like, or not be made to fall. And it's like, this is talking about a city. (laughs) Yeah. You need to know the context of what you're reading. (laughs) Authorial intent is very, very, very important. Yes. Oh, it's pretty funny to see it in its actual context. Verse six, nations roar, kingdoms shake. He utters his voice. The earth melts. That is terrifying to think of the earth melting. Like that is superheated, right? Mm -hmm. For us to see the foundations of the earth melted. It's just incredible. It says, um, Yahweh of hosts is with us in verse seven. The God of Jacob is our high stronghold. The idea of a stronghold in the face of the earth melting is really significant, I think, here. You're somehow protected and above all this happening. Verse 8 says, Come, see the works of Yahweh, who has placed desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts off the spear. The wagons of war he burns with fire. It's interesting to see God referenced as being the one who stops war. He's not using people even to stop war in this verse. It's just saying like he stops it. He cuts the spear in half. He breaks the bow. He makes the wars to cease. He burns the wagons of war with fire. And then verse 10, this famous verse, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So this quote from God in the middle of this passage, talking about the earth being torn apart and the earth melting even, and how terrifying that would be and how scary to witness these events. But then it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 11 says, Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our high stronghold. Selah, or think about these things. It's interesting to put, think about these things or sila at the end of this chapter, right? Because we've covered a lot of information here, even just a short 11 verses. You know, we've covered a lot of cataclysmic events that would be terrifying to witness. And the fact that we're supposed to not fear, even though these things are happening, because ultimately God is the one who offers protection, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea of think about that. <laughs> we, we've talked about this recently on the podcast, but how often do we think you know, we're, we live in a world where we react, you know, we're just, we're always going, things happen and we just react to them. We don't anticipate and prepare for things. A lot of times, um, we're just constantly being stimulated by our entertainment, mm-hmm. by our free time, by what we're doing, you know, to prepare for whatever's going to come the next day. Like everything we do is a reaction instead of considering and thoughtfully, thinking about, okay, what has God done in the past? What is he doing right now? What can I trust him for in the future? You know? Yeah. Being still and knowing God. It's just really interesting. Yeah, I agree. So it's interesting to, to see um, the idea of knowing God in this passage. And that that's how we know God is to be still, right? We stop forward movement. We stop reacting. We stop worrying about the future, fearing what's going to happen. We just are still and we know God. And that idea of worshiping before him. I think of David when um, 
he's told that I can't remember the event right now, but David's told something in his, in his life by God through a prophet, like that God's going to bless him somehow. I can't remember if it's when he's told that his throne's going to live forever. I can't remember what specific instance in his life is, but it says that David went into, into the temple or he went before in the presence of the Lord. And he, it says he sat before the presence of the Lord. And I just love that idea of like David just sitting before the Lord and just reveling in his presence, just enjoying God, just communing with him and worshiping him. And I think, I think God really loves that about the heart of David. You know, he says that, that he's a man after his own heart in scripture, even though David, you know, committed adultery and committed murder and did all these terrible things as a sinful man, that God loved his heart of I think of repentance and uh, when he was convicted, but mm-hmm. also of, of just worship, of just reveling in who God was. And those hours he spent probably as a shepherd boy alone out with the sheep, just thinking about God and singing praises to God and writing poetry to God, you know, which a lot of the Psalms are that, those prayers of David. So it's just neat to think about being able to be still and know him in that way. Um, there's one more Old Testament passage we're going to look at before we move to the New Testament with this idea, and that's in Malachi 3. Malachi 3, um, let's see here, verse 16 through 18, verses 16 through 18. It says, then those who revered Yahweh spoke with one another, and Yahweh listened attentively and heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written before him of those who revere Yahweh and ponder his name. Think about that. I mean, that's an incredible thought, isn't it? That (laughs) those who are talking about the Lord, who revere him and are talking about him to one another, that Yahweh is listening attentively to that. I mean, think about that. When you and a friend talk about the goodness of God, is he listening? You know, is he, is he listening attentively as it says he is here in this passage? It's crazy to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Those who revered Yahweh spoke with one another and Yahweh listened attentively and heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written before him of those who revere Yahweh and ponder his name. Again, here's that idea of pondering, of thinking of those who revere Yahweh and ponder his name. And then God says, they will be mine, says Yahweh of hosts, on the day that I am acting, my treasured possession. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. You will return and see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. It's such an interesting contrast here. Those who serve God, who ponder his name, who think about him, and those who don't. And God's saying one day there's going to be a a very obvious difference between those two, right? And I just think it's so interesting to me that like God is listening attentively to this conversation and then he's having a scroll of remembrance written up. That just reminds me of like, remember Esther when um, Ahasuerus, is that how you say his name? Or Hazarus, I can't remember. I think, but I'm not really sure. We think it's um, the ancient King Xerxes, but he something happens where his life is saved 
by a servant's interference. And he has that written down as like a remembrance, you know, so he can do something about it. Right. And then later when he can't fall asleep and those are being read to him, he remembers this person who saved his life when the account is read back to him. And it's like that, I think that's kind of a similar idea, you know, a scroll of remembrance, like mark, mark it down in the records that this happened, that these people are thinking about me and are talking about me. And God is writing that down as a scroll of remembrance before him because those they're revering Yahweh and they're pondering his name. I just think that's so interesting because God doesn't need to remember things, right? Like he knows everything, Mm -hmm. but he's taking an action here. I think symbolically for our benefit of saying this is significant to God. Yeah. This matters to him. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. God, um, he values those who love him. And it's, it's amazing too, because so often, even the way we view our friendships is, if you are valuable to me, you will do X, Y, Z, or you will, um, you will show love to me using my love language, or, you know, you'll do all of this stuff that will make you a good friend in my eyes. But God isn't looking for a bunch of people who can give him something because he has everything he needs. Yeah. And once, you know, he's, he is all powerful, but what he does value and love is humble people who draw near to him and love him and choose him over all the pleasures this world can offer. That is yeah, precious to him. For sure. Sweet to think about. And I think that's one thing that's really interesting about this idea of ponder. Again, like be still and know God. Hear people who revere Yahweh and ponder his name. And Emily and I were talking about like ways we could, what scripture came to mind as we considered the idea of being still and knowing God and the idea of reflecting on him during this season. So we were talking about just the different passages that come to mind when we think about being still and knowing God and pondering. And Emily had mentioned Mary, which was actually, I was in some passages um, in the story of the birth of Jesus that were referencing Mary too. And she mentioned that and we're just going to go through some of these because as I was studying through it, I recognized just an interesting pattern here when we're learning about Mary and her reaction to the the news of the birth of Jesus and the news of different aspects of his ministry that Mary demonstrated a heart that considered things, which I think is really interesting. So if we go to Luke 1, verse 28 through 29, Let me go there real quick. And it says, um, so Gabriel has shown up and has told Mary um, that he says in verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly perplexed, (laughs) verse 29, at the statement and was pondering what sort of greeting this might be. It's interesting to see Mary reacting with reflection to Gabriel's greeting, you Mm -hmm. know? Because like, again, I think Mary's um, announcement contrasted with Zacharias is really interesting in this passage because Zachariah has been told by Gabriel, the same angel, that him and Elizabeth are going to have a son. It's going to be a miraculous birth also because they're both very old. And he's told that this is going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. And like, you know, he's told all these things that are really exciting. And Zechariah's response is like, how am I going to, how will I know these things are going to happen? You know? And 
he's like not able to communicate after that until the birth of John because of his lack of faith. Mary's response is very interesting because she's also obviously like kind of fearful a little bit. Um, Like it says she's very greatly surprised. So maybe, you know, not fearful, but just perplexed. And it says that the statement was pondering what sort of greeting this might be. I think it's really interesting that Mary is um, someone who this has happened and angels appeared to her. And again, she's not really reacting to the situation. She's considering the situation. You know, she's like, she's thinking about this. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Like she's demonstrating a a mind that it considers what is happening and what this means for her, which I think is really important in a child of God. Like we should be someone who is considering what we're hearing. Is this true? You know, can Mm -hmm. I trust this? Is this something that applies to me? Right. Not just being someone that shoves things off or that accepts everything. Right. We need to be thoughtful. We need to be ponderous Mm -hmm. people. Right. And so here it says like, She's, she's pondering the kind of greeting this is. And then Gabriel goes on to say, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And then he tells her about the birth of, of Jesus that's coming, that she's going to conceive and give birth to a son. And then Mary says to the angel in verse 34, how is this going to happen? How am I going to conceive a child? Cause I've not had sexual relations with a man. Like I'm a virgin. How am I going to conceive a baby when I haven't had sexual relations with anybody? And again, this shows that Mary's thinking about this, right? Like she's not like, oh, this is impossible, you know, or she's not like. Or calling uh, into question God's power. Right. I think think she's just asking like genuinely, how will this work? (laughs) How's this going to work? Like she's thinking about it, you know? Again, she's not someone who just is like blindly accepting everything, even though when an angel from heaven like shows up with a message from God, like it's okay to accept it, right? Like, and, and she does say whatever the Lord wants, like I'm his handmaiden, like she accepts all that. But it shows here she's got a mind and she's thinking about what he's saying and she's considering it while he's telling her. And she's like, how is this going to happen? You know, like what are the mechanics of this essentially? Because <laughs> I'm a virgin and I you like, I haven't known a man, right? And then the angel tells her how it's going to happen. And so again, this seems to be very contrasted with Zachariah's question of like, what sign will I be given that this is going to be the case, right? Like Mary's asking questions too, but Gabriel gives her answers. And so there must be a difference in her heart here of, of questioning, right? She's not questioning out of a lack of faith. She's questioning out of someone who's considering these things and asking for more information, basically. Mm-hmm. And then... um, At verse 38, Mary says, behold, the Lord's female slave, may it happen to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think this statement by Mary in light of her nature that we've gotten a little glimpse of in this passage is significant. Would it be significant regardless of who, what her personality was? Yes. But obviously Mary is someone who considers things. She thinks them through. She counts the cost, right? And we see her having a a habit of treasuring things up in her heart, of pondering the the implications of what's occurring. You know, in this culture, in this setting, um, it was significant that Mary was going to be not having been with a husband and pregnant, right? Like it was significant that she was going to be facing ostracization by other individuals in her community. Joseph would know it wasn't his baby, right? Because yeah. he Potential would know he hadn't had her with her. and things like that. Yeah, too. like like she could be stoned in this culture for having a baby out of wedlock, depending on how Joseph reacted to it. She doesn't ask about Joseph. 
She doesn't ask how God's going to handle that aspect of it. She trusts the Lord to handle these things. She didn't have to have it all buttoned down before she said yes. Mm -hmm. But she's someone who considers and counts the cost, I think, of what service means. And so this isn't an empty, hey, I'm the Lord's slave, whatever he wants. This is someone who's like, I'm, I understand what this means and I'm willing to do it if God wants me to do it. Right. Yeah. And so it means something more when you consider the fact that she's pondering these things and then getting into, um, Luke one 46 through 55, we see here that Mary's, um, hymn of praise to God through this. It's a really sweet passage for the sake of time. We're not going to spend time in it right um, tonight today, but it's just sweet to think about. We get like a little bit of a glimpse into the thoughts of Mary as she's praising God. Um, Mary, Elizabeth is filled with the spirit when she says in verse 42, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And she talks to Mary in an encouraging way. She's full of the spirit when she does this. We're not told that Mary is full of the spirit. This is just her response to what Elizabeth is saying. And it's, it's beautiful to see the way she's thinking about God in this passage, you know, the way that she sees him as he's done great things for me. Holy is his name in verse 49. His mercy is for generation and generation for those who fear him. He has dispersed the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's filled those who are hungry with good things. Those who are rich, he's sent away empty handed. He's helped Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy. Like she's, these are things I think we're getting a little shot, snapshot into the mind of Mary. These are things that she's been thinking about about God. Yeah. Right. This is how she views her, her savior, how she views the one she worships, the one she is the slave of. And this passage is just so sweet. When you consider Mary, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced greatly in God, my savior, because he looked upon the humble state of his female slave. It's just so neat to see what she's been thinking about God coming out in this hymn of praise you know, at this time, which is really sweet. And then getting into Luke 2, 16 through 20, we see here that um, this is after the shepherds have been told that Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. And it says they went hurrying and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the statement that had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were astonished concerning what had been said to them by the pro- by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. So again, like Mary, like this kind of almost a side note in this beautiful narrative of what's happening the day, the night that Christ is born. That here, Mary is just like on the side of this a little bit, like watching it happen and treasuring these things in her heart and pondering them in her heart. You know, it's just so interesting to see that again, like we see this, this, um, intentionality on Mary's part to remember these things. And maybe she's one of the witnesses who, you know, the gospel authors talked to regarding these events. She was there. <laughs> and so being able to recount those things to them later on, if she if she was around when some of these were starting to be written and compiled, you know, that's sweet to think about that Mary was a firsthand witness to these events and she treasured these things and pondered them in her heart and thought about them and remembered them to be able to potentially speak to that years later is a really sweet thing. Mm-hmm. One more passage we'll go to is Luke 2, 41 through 51. 
This is when Jesus is older and he's been left at the temple. Um, so his parents, they're all in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover and they don't know it, but Jesus is in the temple talking with the <laughs> teachers there. They go, they leave Jerusalem thinking that he's with other members of their group. Right. And it says they went a day's journey, verse 44, and they began searching for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. And it happened that after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting in the midst of the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his insight and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astounded. And his mother said to him, child, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have been searching for you anxiously. And he said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that it was necessary for me to be in the house of my father? And they did not understand the statement that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submitting to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. It's so interesting. Like again and again and again, we see this of Mary where she is thoughtful. You know, she's considering these things. And obviously the Messiah is growing up in front of her eyes. You know, she's his mother in the earthly sense, right? She, she gave birth to him. And she was able to be a part of his life at a mentoring, like parent relationship. And, but he's still her savior, right? He's still her God. And she's watching him rising into strength and wisdom and favor. And verse 52, it says he was advancing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. She's watching this happen. And Mary's a sinful person. You know, that must've been a difficult dynamic at times to have a son who's sinless, who's God, when you're a sinful parent, <laughs> if you think it's hard to apologize to your kids who are other sinners, imagine <laughs> what it was like to apologize to God of the universe <laughs> when you sinned against him. But you see that Mary has this um, habit of treasuring these things in her heart, of considering these things, of of being thoughtful regarding them. And it's, she's pondering Jesus as he's growing. You know, it's just interesting to see that happen. And so I think that Mary's just like a really good example for us of of that kind of pondering, thoughtful, let me consider what God's doing and why he might be doing it. And let me utilize that for my day-to-day life and existence and for what I need. You know, it's interesting to see that example, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to see all the different reactions to Jesus's birth, um, seeing like the shepherds being really excited about it and um, spreading the news everywhere and, um, then Mary is just sitting there quietly and thinking through things. And yeah. and I think there's a lot of value in us taking time away from our phones, um, our busy schedules, just to excuse me, sit down with God's word and ponder what he's saying and ponder all the meanings of um, the implications of his birth, what that means for us even today and what is meant for believers the past several thousand years, you know, what, yeah. what that means um, and the significance of that, that goes far beyond just the here and now and how we keep Christmas, you know, traditions today. Instead, we can think through how we integrate that truth um, with our Christmas holiday and traditions. And um, it's just good to be thoughtful of that and mindful and to con- continually connect that mm. um, with what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. And there's some passages, because, you know, we're talking about pondering the word. We're talking about considering what God has done, about 
taking time in your busy schedule to stop moving and to, to stop all forward motion and to stop um, stimulation and input and to just consider God and to consider what he's done, what he's doing, how he wants to impact your life today, how you can worship him right now with whatever thoughts that you're thinking regarding who he is and how he's acted and what he's promised you. And so we just want to leave you with some scripture. If you're like wanting to do that and you're wanting to take time to ponder, but you're just at a loss, like where to start, obviously spending time in the Christmas story is really cool. You know, and Luke, um, Luke one and two deal with a lot of the Christmas story from one gospel. There are other gospel accounts that highlight different things, but Luke two is definitely a very popular place to go for the Christmas story. Um, if you find yourself falling into patterns of, of recitation, cause you know, that passage really well, you know, maybe go with a different translation, one that you're not used to reading and that you haven't heard uh, quoted so much just to help you think about the words differently and to think about what it's actually saying instead of falling into that habit of reciting, you know, which we can so easily do. But there are also a couple other passages um, that Emily was going to share just like talking about who God is and things that we can ponder regarding him. And so Emily, you had to read those for us. John one is where we're going to start. And starting in verse one, uh, speaking of which, this is a really good passage. The book of John is um, in total, but uh, chapter one is a really good proof text for the deity and humanity of Christ. Because you can see both of them um, walking alongside each other really clearly in several passages in John, um, including this one. So starting in verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. This is John the Baptist. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Which is, if you if you look at the backstory of John and Jesus, John is actually his physically his older cousin. But Jesus um, came before him, John says, um, because he's pointing to the fact that he has always existed. He's the creator. Verse 16 says, "And And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. 
So this passage is talking through God's purpose for coming. Um, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and he has shown us his light. Um, it even says that he came into the world and we didn't even comprehend him. We didn't, we didn't get it. And how true is that even today? You know, a lot of the world has access to the gospel, but it's, it's like so many of us still don't quite get it. We can't comprehend it. And so not only did he have to come and sacrifice himself, but he has to come and work in our hearts to receive him and accept him because otherwise we just carry on and, you know, we live our lives in the busy schedules we make for ourselves and try to find our importance in other areas, but we can only truly find it from him. And he is that light. Um, and why do we need light? Because we're in darkness and darkness means we can't see, <laughs> we can't see the way forward, but we're, we so often try to make our own sense of right and wrong apart from him, but he is the light. He reveals the truth. Um, and he's exactly what we need. So that's John one. Um, so Colossians one is definitely worth reading through on your own, um, the whole passage, but I'm just going to read a little section of it starting in verse nine. And I'm not leaving the other parts out because they're not, you know, they didn't make the cut. But it's more just like, <laughs> we don't have time to get into all of them. So um, starting in verse 9, but I do encourage you to read the rest of the passage. It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Pausing right there. I think it's interesting that first of all, we need to know what his will is and then we need to walk in it and that's pleasing to him. Mm. Um, so that means we need to be studying to know what his will is and we need to be enabled to walk in him, um, and please him. That has to be his strengthening and his empowering, uh, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. There's that light terminology again. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then it goes on to talk about the preeminence of Christ, um, and that's definitely worth looking through. But just thinking again, this is what Christmas is all about. It's about Jesus coming to rescue a bunch of people who are lost in darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of light. And think about how precious that is. I even, last year, I started trying to ponder these things more and to be more intentional about considering what that light is. Um, and even when I look at my Christmas tree lights, there's something so soft and pleasant and sweet about that light. Um, I have like white lights on my tree and they're like that soft glow. <laughs> and um, it's kind of interesting because they reflect off of the TV, which is obviously this black, dark void. Yeah. Well, unless it's on. <laughs> it's spiritually, it's sometimes a black dark void. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I just, it kind of strikes me sometimes how the light reflects on that TV mm. and how it changes what is just a black surface into soft and glowing light. And it's just kind of a, a simple example, but it makes me think about Jesus coming to the world, making us 
little lights of his um, wherever he's planted us, making a difference in wherever he's put you, as long as you're abiding in him. And that's really the ticket. You can't try harder. You know, you just have to abide in him and he supplies the power and the ability um, to be the saints in the light. And that's just sweet. That's a little picture of what we get to look forward to in eternity forever. So Mm. those were my thoughts. Amen. I think that we've left you guys with a lot of scripture dumped on you a little bit, but um, we'll put passages in our show notes and would encourage you guys that, um, you know, take an opportunity, even if it's when you get in the shower, you know, you just like are thinking through a verse you just read right before you got in the shower on your phone, you know, and then like, just keep thinking about it as you're showering, you know, like take advantage of the times that you are given to be still and know God. Obviously it's, it's important to factor in times, even if you have to stay up late after the household's asleep or you have to get up early before they wake up. It's important to to have those times where you're fully still and you're just meditating on scripture and spending time in prayer. But there are times when, you know, you're washing dishes or you're folding laundry or you're, you know, you're rolling out pastry dough. Think about truths about God, ponder these things, treasure them in your heart be someone who continues to dwell on truth about God and it shapes her and changes her and makes her a blessing to those around her and reflect on the savior during this season, you know, and it doesn't have to be something that changes the day after Christmas, like that continues, (laughs) you know, keep thinking about the savior into the new year, into February, into March. Like this is a time for us to, um, to really hone down and remind ourselves about why Jesus came and to celebrate the fact that he came, but we should be thinking about these things and pondering them and treasuring them all year round. And so I would encourage you to build those habits that, that do that for you, build those habits that encourage you to reflect on your savior and to worship him with your thoughts every day. And so hopefully this is an encouragement to you guys and a blessing leading into the Christmas weekend and leading into the season, holiday season after that with New Year's and everything and praying for you guys as you um, are out there um, trying to serve the Lord with what you've been given and the opportunities that you have out in your communities and in your families and in your church family and We love you guys and we're thankful for you and we're wishing you a very merry, merry Christmas and a wonderful season. Focus on the Savior and I hope this has been an encouragement to you to do that. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll see you guys next week, Lord willing.